Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. I am very excited to welcome today's guest to the show. She is currently a corporate pastry chef and director of culinary, but is also or has been a speaker, teacher, entrepreneur, and TV chef, and that is only part of her culinary school story. And so, without further delay, it is my pleasure to introduce today's guest, Chef Cammie Smith. Cammie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here. Great. So, let's start at the beginning like all good stories do and tell us, where did your love of food and baking and cooking start? So, great question. Um, When I was younger, probably, I would say eight, nine years old, for some reason, I received a little tiny Hershey's spiral cookbook for either a birthday or maybe Valentine's Day. But um, I think everyone had one and it was probably 30 pages, all color. And on that little spiral, you would open it up and it started out maybe with cookies and went to brownies and bars and, Mm -hmm. you know, souffles and cakes and stuff. And I was just so enthralled with how beautiful everything looked. I remember looking at my mother and I said, can I make these things when I get home from school? She said, of course. So um, I always made chocolate chip pancakes and cookies with her. And then when she would make pie or cakes, I would, you know, try to help or at least what she would allow me to do. And we always had baked goods in the home. And so I was just a bit um, swirthy, if you will, because I just loved it. I loved eating it all. So, um, you know, when I would get home from school, of course, I would pull out my little Hershey's book and I would just start making. And the first thing I made was a souffle. Wow. It was great. My dad helped me create this collar that we put over this crock and it rose. It was phenomenal. And that was my first taste of like an egg white, basically just this incredible energy that took for this egg white to rise. Like I remember eating that with him and I went, dad, is this fancy? And he was like, oh yeah, this is. (laughs) (laughs) So that was where it all began. And I always felt like I had this natural intuitive thought of looking at a cookie sheet and I just felt, well, this is a four by three or this is a two by seven or meaning that's how many doughs across or many, you know, how many packs of of cookies I could put and it would have enough uh, room to spread and bake and they wouldn't, you know, like slam into each other. So Mm -hmm. it just kind of started when I was younger, to be frank. Wow. That's a pretty ambitious first recipe, a souffle too. So (laughs) I know, isn't that crazy? (laughs) But it definitely of my daring personality at times and sometimes I just want to jump in all you know all four so great so then you kind of went on to culinary school right so how did that happen did you start in high school or did you always know you're going to culinary school was it an afterthought and then how did you choose the culinary school that you did so that was never necessarily a goal it wasn't this innate ability of mine to say this is what I'm going to be um, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be an architect and then it flipped to nursing and, you know, and I've just flipped all over because I was such a high creative space. 
And I'm not sure that my parents always knew how to deal with that, (laughs) but they always threw me into something, whether it was art class, piano, I played flute. Um, We did a ton of cantatas in the church that I was in growing up. So always in the limelight, always performing, always working on showmanship, always singing. So that was a creative outlet for me just to kind of, if you will, get the energy out. In middle school, I did show choir. High school, I did band. Um, But when it came to school, it was definitely understood that we needed to go to college. That was a better avenue um, to see the world. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea, very young as a 17-year-old, and decided that I probably should just do interior design because I really loved art. I loved to make things beautiful and pretty, and I had a knack for it. That was the first major. And five majors later, to be honest, (laughs) I ended up going into nursing. And in that, I discovered a class and it was called Nutrition 202. I was fascinated by micro and macro minerals, vitamins, how the GI tract knew and everything just came together. And so that was basically opening the door to food science. Had no idea what food science was at the time. Um, So this was at Tennessee Tech. So my undergrad, I ended up graduating with a BS degree in human ecology, concentration, food, nutrition, dietetics. But my concentration within that was food food service administration. I loved being in that kitchen, working with the kitchen ladies. I love being able to create volume food. And it just, I just got it. Everything in food, I understood it. The chemistry, I ended up having a minor in chemistry because I took so many classes. So I just kept following that little rabbit down the hole a little bit. And um, through that little following the hole and and after everything was coming to a close of graduation, um, I ended up discovering that one of my family members developed, unfortunately, cancer. And so I began to walk with her through that process. And what I ended up finding out was while I was in the hospital, just being with her and staying and just supporting my passion to be a registered dietitian, which is really what you were going to do with a foods, you know, undergrad degree, um, it kind of squashed it. Mm. And I felt a bit lost and had no clue what I was going to do. And literally on a whim, I'm looking through a magazine. And this was probably when I was not in the hospital staying with her, but just, you know, hanging out in my dorm room. But I just saw a, um, well, when I was visiting home and coming back, But in the end, I looked at the magazine and a cover on the inside just said, become a pastry chef, Johnson Wills University. Wow. And we were thinking, huh, well, I'm definitely not going to work in nutrition. And after seeing what food has done or couldn't do to save my cousin, which that's a really long story, but we wanted to get into that. In the end, I just said, you know what? I love chocolate and I really like to make things pretty. And I think I might be really good at this, using food in this avenue. And so that's how I got to culinary was it was kind of like plan B. Wow. Well, it kind of makes sense. You had that foundation architecture you were interested in. That's the pastry, the culinary arts part of it. And then nursing, you want to help others. You want to nourish them. So you had all that there. You just, you know, came to fruition there when you saw that ad for Johnson. You're totally right. It was like a big ball of all these little pie pieces finally making their way and creating a future career for myself. (laughs) crazy, but it worked. So did you go visit the campus first or you just enrolled and went there? Tell us about how that process started and then what happened when you got there? Sure. Uh, So at the time, and I'm assuming they still do this now, but Johnson and Wales 
offered a, a fly-in program for prospective students. And if you, you know, flew up there on their dime, you enjoyed the restaurants, you took a full, a full tour, and you were able to just basically congregate with your future uh, administration and chefs. Hmm. And if you enrolled that weekend, then they would give you basically a rebate of two grand. Wow. Well, my parents were like, uh, this is a good idea. <laughs> so, so the three of us flew up from East Tennessee and it's really hard to explain, but a lot of people have that light bulb moment. And a lot of people, I would assume that maybe even listeners who have had those opportunities in life where they're like, I just know, like you just have a knowing when we started the tour and I was looking at the pastry center and they, of course, it's the fishbowl. You look through the window and you're looking at what's doing. Yeah, yeah. It was um, advanced cake and, and baking. But when I saw those cakes being created, it was fondant and just stunning, you know, pipe work. I looked at my mom and I said, this is it. This is it. So flash, right? Oh, that's the light bulb. Really was. It was a knowing. It was hard to explain. I was 21 and my dad was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. Like there was an adamant, absolutely. So we went through the process and I ended up moving up there about a couple months later. That was it. Was this was the Providence campus? It was the Providence campus. Yes. I stayed at the, what was called the hospitality um, dorm, which on the, yeah, it was hospitality, which ended up being an old Howard Johnson hotel that they had renovated. <laughs> <laughs> a bit crazy, but I had um, an end room, which was probably like a banquet room, but I had four roommates. So it was a bit crazy and crowded, but isn't that kind of when really cool and fun memories are made? So yep. I think about those days and they were really fun. So you went there for baking and pastry, it wasn't Correct. for culinary arts. Correct. And so what was what was day one? You get the, you had to get your uniforms and they gave you a toolkit and then you went to class. Did you have labs first? And what was that class? Well, I had a very unique situation where since I already carried an undergrad degree, I opted or they basically just took me straight into practical or lab work. I didn't have to take any lecture classes because a lot of- oh, I think. I think a lot of listeners may not know that, but they most culinary schools do have that a garnish your degree or some program like that, where if you already bring in one, all those credits for the academic type classes will transfer. And you just have to take basically the lab classes. Is that right? You are correct. I was able to get the associate's BPA, baking pastry art degree or associate degree, which would normally be a two-year program. I got that in one year. So, I mean, it's not good or bad. It just was my situation. And I was quite grateful because I was an anxious little Nelly to just jump in and, you know, start yeah. working with my hands for sure. And you get to save that tuition and you get to get back out into the workforce quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're actually right. Once I was able to receive like what all my labs were going to be like in pastry, if I remember correctly, basically one class was about a month. It was 30 days. Whereas in culinary, you have seven day classes and then you switch and you, you know, stocks and sauces and then you went to knife skills and, you know, just garmage. Like it was very fast learning, but for us, it's a little bit more intense on learning, you know, proper batters and just all the different bases for meringue, better creams, simple syrups, just, just a ton of stuff. So I was in my first baking and pastry class, which was actually just cakes, butter creams and syrups. I believe it was my first class. And so uh, is this, I was reading in your bio, this is where you had a little accident with a fingernail maybe? Is this this class you're mentioning? Yes, it was absolutely. <laughs> I 
I mean, <laughs> tell us that story. It's horrible. <laughs> um, so uh, if I think back about a month before I had to pack up and fly to Rhode Island, I was out in the driveway. I don't know if I was washing the car or just getting something out of the car, but for some reason, when I opened up the driver's side door and grabbing, I remember grabbing a bag inside the car and in my world, I just wanted to be swift and cool. And when I pulled the bag with my left hand and then had my right hand on the frame, I just thought I'm going to shut the door. And it's just like nothing happened for whatever reason. I ended up slamming the door right on my right. Thumb. Oh. I, I, it was, you know, it was awful. I mean, oh, yeah. Ouch. throbbing heartbeat, bloody, disgusting, but it didn't break it, which is good. So um, after my parents took me to the doctor, they were like, yeah, you're fine. I'm like, okay. So the thumb itself was really bruised and the thumbnail was like black, Mm -hmm. but there was no open wound and it just looked really ugly. But so far it it was okay. So I fly to Rhode Island. Um, Everything's working. My thumb is still looking like it's, it's just bruised and really, really, it just looks really bad and ugly. But anyway, so I get into class first day. Um, We are examined. Our uniforms were examined for ironing. Uh, Our aprons had to be folded a certain way. Our toolkits had to be placed to the table a certain way. Like it was very military, but I loved it because I like precision. Um, So once class officially started, I just approached the chef and said, I need to discuss a potential hazard with you. And she said, sure, what's going on? I showed her my thumb. She said, are you in pain? I said, no. Um, This happened about a month ago and it's not broken. And the thumbnail is black, but it, it just looks bad. Are you okay if I don't wear a glove or should I? And she said, well, is it an open wound? I said, no, there's nothing coming out of it. She said, great. Then you're fine to not use a glove and just go for it. I went, okay. So about six hours later, we have baked, we have made buttercreams, we've made syrup, we have scrubbed the kitchen down and we ended up making this beautiful first tort that I, I learned on it. It was called the mocha buttercream, mocha buttercream tort. And the way in which things work at Johnson and Wells, everyone that makes a final product, they are boxed and shipped over to the main hall for eating, for consuming. So that is, it creates a whole cafeteria main hall eating scenario so that after everyone's done a class, then they go to main hall and we basically eat what we made. Mm-hmm. Like it's an ingenious idea. So um, at the end of class, we're scrubbing, we're cleaning up, I'm taking off my apron and I was just noticing my skin was a little dry and I looked down. And my right thumb was clear. Oh, it, it had no stain there, that whatever, I guess it was dried blood. It was gone. And I was horrified. And I'm like, Oh my God, I have just completely destroyed and um, ruined this potential motor, you know, mocha buttercream tour. I, I mean, I've tainted this entire class and I was so scared to tell the chef. So I didn't say anything. I'm like, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> so I get back on the shuttle bus. We all go over to the dorm. We change clothes. And I am coming down the hallway like in a fury because I just had to warn my roommates. Don't eat them. It was awful. I was, <laughs> it was like, it's like, you know, Paul Revere running and running. So anyway, I run down the hallway. I open the door. And all I knew to say was, do not eat the buttercream tart tonight. <laughs> It's like a surprise. Could be something in there. Oh my god! I mean, they're like, "What are you talking about?" I was like, "Just, just, just donate it." <laughs> I kept that secret to the grave, to be frank. I have a soul. <laughs> well, I think you're safe now, so it's okay. That's... I think so. <laughs> 
Now, out of all those classes, did you have a favorite? Um, you know, was there a specialty in one of those classes that you're like, wow, that was one I stuck with me to this day? Oh, definitely chocolates and pralines. Mm. Um, that course, uh, just for a little back info, I ended up transferring from the Providence, Rhode Island campus to Charleston only because the freshman year people could not have cars at Rhode Island, but in Charleston they could. Oh. And I was like, well, I want to be able to have a job. I want to work. I, I wanted to fill my time. So it was just a better opportunity for me. So I transferred there and having Chef Armin Gronertz for Chocolates and Pralines, a six foot four German <laughs> who was just absolutely a destroyer <laughs> of all of us. He wore us out, but it was by far the most impressive course I've ever had in my life. And now that seems fitting because you work with a candy company? That's, yes, I do. It, it, I guess it all does um, come full circle at some point. But yes, I work for a manufacturer, which I have basically in my pastry chef career, I was in production just a few years and then I jumped over into a food science world because I just found that my brain clicks better in these uh, scenarios. But yeah, I'm in food manufacturing and we produce uh, basically inclusions, or as we like to say, like the little extra that you have in your ice cream, your yogurts, your cookies, even bagels, baked goods, muffins, um, and even toppers for really beautiful hot beverages, like um, like a standard whipped cream on top of a mocha, and you might have like a dusting of something. We are producing those candies, inclusions, and baked goods. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It's really cool. So why don't we talk a little bit about that for the listeners, because sometimes they don't realize what this industry offers. You know, they may think, oh, I have to go into a restaurant or a hotel and there's so many outlets that you can use this degree that you get or these skills or the apprentice or, you know, in this industry. And yours, you know, you did that and, and you were TV and you had bakeries and kind of worked your way up. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit for the listeners and how they may be able to follow that path. Sure. Um, it's definitely an open-ended conversation of wherever you want to be, you probably can get there. Working in baking and pastry definitely puts you in a corner. You're, you're in a niche and not everyone loves that, but when you're in it, you're in it for life because it's passion. It's, um, it's expertise. And it's also, I don't know, it's become a love affair. Like I, I personally don't have children, but my career has really been able to bring such joy because the products that I work on or have developed or launched, those have been all over the, the United States, if not the world. I mean, that's a big deal. Um, but before I even dive into that, I will say when I was in culinary, there was a chef, his name was Chef Zelensky. He and I just, we just had a really nice banter every day because I just wasn't too scared of him. I mean, it's intimidating to work with a chef that's just been, you know, in the Coupe de Mall and has gold medals. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, but I was a bit older. I was a non-traditional student at 21, 22 years old at that point. And I remember asking him, I said, what would you recommend to someone entering the, the field? And he said, if anything, work in restaurants, work in high volume. After that, choose what you want to do. But just get those, get those types of works under your belt. And I would definitely say that to everyone, unless they are very, very specific on the type of work they want to do. It is vital to understand just the workings of a restaurant, the hours of labor, 
and the precision that it really takes. And high volume, which I personally really excel at, working in a team effort is huge. If you don't know how to almost put down the pride and ego a little bit, work with the team and create something together, you're going to have a hard career. That's probably the number one. Um, But working in high volume, you understand um, that creating a thousand plates at the speed, well, you want to create one plate in the speed of a thousand and you want to create a thousand plates at the precision of one. It's a big deal for us. Um, So once you kind of get that expertise, then you can jump and do anything you want. Now, all the stuff I've done, it's just things that have crossed my path and I kept saying yes. That's it. It wasn't any of these major goals that I just had in mind. I just knew I wanted to keep reaching a level of excellence. And there was a chef that really pulled me back one day and said, if you want to be perfect, you're going to fail. So stop. I'm like, oh God, you're right. You know, I just beating myself up because I, you know, I ruined a Japonais, which is uh, an egg white and nut mixture and couldn't get it right. And I kept, you know, messing everything up. And he said, stop, just, just stop, take a breath. And just keep keep reaching a level of excellence because we can always learn. And I said, you know what, you're right. So with all that said, um, now I am in a place of corporate, which a lot of people would call a sellout. You're not willing to work hard. You don't want to do the hours. And it's like, eh, is that true or it's a different type of work now? <laughs> yeah. So what I do now, um, I've been in food manufacturing for 16 years. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. For my first position, which was with the Schwann Baking Company, it was a subsidiary of the Schwann Food Company. And that was my first job as a research pastry chef. And I helped create wonderful cheesecakes, brownies, and and layered cakes. So that was definitely a fun job. And, And it was also a lot of learning curve too. I mean, I had never worked in gram scale, never scaled up to a batch of 3000 pounds of batter and creating, you know, 800 cakes or whatever. And that was a lot of learning, but once you get it, then it's tweaking and then it's um, maybe approaching a new step into a project or using a new machine. And it's constantly changing in this um, definitely side of work, but I like that. I don't like every day being the same. Um, So what I do now, I am technically called the Director of Culinary Showcasing. Through my work, what I have found is I am definitely the anomaly where I love people. I like talking to people and a lot of chefs don't. They like to stay behind the scenes or even scientists. They want to stay behind the scene. They want to do their job, but they really just don't want to create an opportunity. Uh, Maybe that's unfair to say. Maybe they just don't like explaining what they're doing. They just want to do their job, have it confirmed, validated, and move on to the next project. That's totally fair. But for me, I have a knack for explaining things in just nomenclature, just in normal jargon. Mm -hmm. And so if I can create a commonality between me and the customer, then I can flip my brain and go back into science and say, we need to have a gravity of this and we need a Bostwick of seven or, or whatever that technical is so that I can speak technical and I can flip it and speak showman. So that's basically what I do at Pecan Deluxe. I write hundreds of concepts a year or maybe per month or whatever, but, and I help R&D with the vision of what I would like to see for my customer. They create it and I'm keeping the gold standard within that role of development. And then once we have a finalized piece, then I create, if you will, the fluff. I create the build the way we're going to showcase it, the way that I want to present it, the way it fits onto the menu board. 
and I dazzle it and make it look stunning so that the end user understands exactly how it will be perceived, uh, tasted, and, and taken upon once they put it on their menu. Wow. There's a lot of people that don't have the ability to visualize. So I help bring that vision to an absolute finite point so that they get it. So our rate of return or progress is extremely high because I'm able to secure a vision before it's made. Awesome. Now, how would someone get into that? Is there openings? Do you see that they're looking for people or is it like, you know, really small niche type market or how would someone find out about that avenue? So typically when you are a corporate chef, you are going to be building applications using your company's products. Um, that is to me the avenue to getting to where I am. But the company I work for now, I mean, we made this position for me. Um, I just have a very strong knack for color, media placement, planograms, just system. And that's the only way I can work is if I can create beauty in it mm-hmm. and show form with this force. Like it, it just, it's a, it's a hand in hand situation. But if someone is very interested in that, Absolutely. It's typically someone that represents the company and culinary is so hot right now. Everybody wants the chef. That's who people want to talk to. That's who they feel like they get credibility with and from. Um, that to me in the corporate end is exactly where they need to go. Mm, great. So you just mentioned culinary is hot right now. Do you see that culinary school was needed, beneficial? Was it a good foundation? Would you do it again if you had, now that you know what you know, looking back? Honestly, I was, I do agree that it was my, the best decision I ever made was going to culinary. I loved the school I went to. I'm not sure I would change much. Um, If I were to do a complete about face and choose another career, I think I would end up doing interior design. Hmm which would be the same creative space, but different media. I would still be creating beauty and form for a customer, but this time I'm just doing it in food. So I'm just a highly creative um, person. I'm an artist. So I think whatever I would choose to do, it's always going to be in a creative space. So maybe it would have been interior design, but I really love chocolate. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, Johnson & Wales now has changed from the College of Culinary Arts. They're now the College of Food Innovation and Technology. Culinary Arts is obviously a part of that, but you can see how it's branching and it's growing. And so a lot of that fits into manufacturing, you know, innovation. It really does. Product ideas. So That's fantastic. And I'm glad to hear that. I honestly didn't even know, which shame on me for not being a connected alumni. Just just changed this year. (laughs) That's really great. So what is your favorite product to prepare? What is your favorite dessert? Are they the same? Do you like to eat one and make one? Let's see. I have always enjoyed eating chocolate chip cookies. I just love the, I feel like there's just a trifecta in it. There's the incredible smell and that flavor, or I should say just that aroma Mm -hmm. that fills the the house, the room. Um, And then there's the anticipation, which I love. I think that's probably the biggest connector for me with people in desserts is the, I mean, just think about it. Let's say you're at a restaurant, you go and look at the menu and you're like, oh my gosh, they've got this, um, we'll say this almond cake with a sauteed pork pear, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, it sounds amazing. And what do you do? I personally do a little dance in my seat. My shoulders are going up and down. I'm rubbing my hands. 
and I'm smiling because I'm thinking this is going to be incredible. And that anticipation is so pure and so beautiful. It's, it's already the experience of the dessert. And then of course the final is the consumption. It's the taste, it's the flavor. It's that dance of maybe it's salty, sweet, hot and cold, crunchy, smooth. I mean, that's the ultimate for me. So the cooking for me is everything especially if it's just shaken off with heat, probably, let's see what a uh, exit temp is probably a little over 200, like, like at, at about 90 degree cookie. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. It's the crunch. It's the smooth, the pull of chocolate, a little bit of the salt. You've got the molasses tone and brown sugar. It's everything for me. Now, what I love to make that is a bit of a fully loaded question, but right now, I'll just say I go in spurts of things I really love. Right now, I would say I love perfecting the cheesecake formula that I've used for years. And what I'm finding is I just want a different texture. I want different flavor notes to come through. So, um, and you just can't throw it together and throw it in the oven. Like, I feel like you really have to build flavor. Mm-hmm. And I just finished creating a new crust and it's so crunchy. And then once it sits in the refrigerator for like seven, 10 days, it does not absorb hardly any liquid. It doesn't get um, like sticky tacky, the connector of crust to batter. So right now I am loving to do what we just call slow baking. It's just a very slow, low temp and gradually completes it to, um, you know, about one, well, between 160, 170 degree internal is what a cheesecake finishes at. So um, I would say that's what I'm doing right now as far as my favorite. And that, it is a hard question because I get that all the time. It's like, oh, what's your favorite dish? Or what's this? Like, you know, we have just one, right? You know, for a chef. Exactly. Like, it depends. <laughs> There's so many variables to that question. But, right. you know, so. Um, talk about influencers because you uh, influence people. Now you influence people you work with. You know, you've reached that level of status. Who is an influence to you? Can you name one, two, three people that influence you either personally or professionally as you were coming up? through the ranks? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's such a humbling thought that I'm influencing others. I honestly have never really thought about it. I just wanted to keep my nose to the grindstone and work and, and just be honest and be very true to myself and not get really too caught up in the world of you shoulda, coulda, woulda, or you're a female and you better, or whatever. I, I just never wanted to be, um, major squeaky wheel. Not that mm-hmm. that means be silent. I just thought, you know, do your best and be proud of yourself and, you know, move on. Um, but I would say the the first person that really pops up in my head would definitely be Dr. Cunningham. She is uh, a registered dietitian, nutritionist. Uh, she's gone up the whole ranks in education. And she was my, um, I guess you could just say, guidance counselor, mentor, and also um, professor while I was an undergrad. Dr. Cunningham (laughs) was and is the most sassy, incredibly um, talented female lady person I have ever known in my life. Um, If you were a student under Dr. Cunningham, we were held to a very different standard than if she just taught a class. Like her students didn't dress like crap. Her students didn't make C's on exams. Her students... You know, we were not lazy on weekends. We had to, I mean, I just felt like we had like this mother figure that refused to accept less. Wow. I know. 
And if you talk to anyone, actually, there's a few of us from college that still talk about Dr. Cunningham. And I've gone back to see her and she still hits her little finger up and goes, you got to get that master's. I'm like, oh my God, Dr. C, let it go. She went, uh uh uh, keep learning. Like, even as an accomplished person, no, even you can keep learning. I'm like, you're right, you're right. So we'll see what happens in my future, but that would definitely be the first person for me. She sounds like a great person to have behind you. Oh my gosh. Motivating and pushing you. Absolutely. Um, The second one is uh, if we go back to Johnson and Wells in the chocolates room, Chef Gronert, I had a moment in class where he was tricky in chocolate. You temper, mm-hmm. you know, which just means you take it from a high temp, you take it to a lower temp and you're moving it and making things crystallize. Okay. No big deal. But he would trick our classes and throw the thermostat up to like 80. Some days he would throw it down to 60 and just really training us to be able to temper in almost any or all conditions, which is brilliant. Wow. So I was with a team and I just felt like no one really knew what they were doing. And I was a little pompous little, you know, princess And I felt like I knew exactly what we needed to do and nobody would listen. And I just had a hard moment and I was mad because once we were, we were doing an almond crawling and once you temper, add your product, stir, stir, you begin to deposit. And by the time on your parchment paper, when you've started depositing the first crawling by your seventh or eighth, everything has set up and you see a matte finish, no streak, no line, no, um, no blemish on that chocolate. And, um, Ours wasn't setting up. So we had to scrap all of it, remelt, retemper, and it didn't work the second time. It didn't even work the third. Oh. It was such a crapshoot day. I just had it. So Chef Carter walks over to me and he said, What's wrong with you? You know, Miss Smith, what's wrong? You know, and I said, I'm just really, really mad at my team right now. And he said, Mad at your team? What are you talking about? And I said, You know, and I told him what happened. He goes, Go out to the dumpsters. So he like led me out of class. I went to the back dock. I'm on the pad and I'm crying. I mean, I just think about this. It's so silly, but in the moment it was everything. It's all my life was, was chocolate and I'm bawling and I'm bawling. And uh, I came back in and no one was in class. It was the end of class. And so I just walked up to him and I said, I'm really sorry that I got emotional. And he said, never allow your emotions to run your day because you just missed the assignment for tomorrow. Wow. Well, what is it? He goes, that's your problem. <laughs> Wasn't a lot of empathy there, so, huh? <laughs> it was like, what? oh my God. I mean, it was like, I appreciated the moment he gave me, yeah. but it was my fault. I allowed my emotions to rise. And that was a big lesson for me. So that's definitely mentor two. And uh, mentor three, um, in my professional world, I would say there's a gentleman I had as a boss. His name is Bernie. And Bernie and I really connected He is a marketing guy, very uh, quantitative, technical. Things were by number. There was no um, middle ground. There was no gray area. It was yes or no, or on a scale of one to 10. And he helped me create a more qualifiable performance in my work. And it wasn't, hey, Cammie, did you like your work today? Yeah. It wasn't enough for him. He was like, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel like your performance did today at this presentation? And I would be like, I'm probably like a six. He's like, I disagree. Huh? Why do you disagree? Well, you were on time. Your product was phenomenal, blah, blah, blah. But I did notice that you were fidgety. So what can we do to enhance you to be not so fidgety? And I'm like, oh my God. Uh, wow. It was just such great critique, but in a positive tone mm-hmm. that he allowed me to accept that failure wasn't even in a conversation. It's just critique. 
it's just, it's chess. It's small maneuvers to an end goal. It's about learning and growing and continuing the journey. Learning and growing. Absolutely. So um, Bernie was a very strong pillar for me and helped me to lay personal things aside. It wasn't emotions. It was just personal goals. It was, let's just be in the moment. Let's talk about this exact act. Let's, let's uh, put it on score and we'll come back in a month and see if you feel better about it. And sure enough, I was getting to where I was saying, you know, I think like I gave myself an 8.2 and he's like, oh, an 8. I like that. <laughs> and I was beginning to have more faith in myself on my performances. Cause if anyone is a performer, you know, you're the first one to say I did awful today. And I don't say those words anymore because there's always a slight improvement, but boy, you're better than yesterday. So Bernie, Bernie's definitely the third. And, and I mean, there's so many, but those are the three that really come to mind today. That's excellent. That's good. That was great people. Um, let's talk about being a female then, because you mentioned that coming up through culinary school in the industry and, you know, careers that you're in now, corporate levels. Have you noticed anything that would, you know, the barriers, the glass ceilings, did you, were you treated any differently or did you find it, you know, nope, it was same male or female do the work and get the goals or they get the rewards? Yeah. Um, I, I can't say I was always um, a thousand percent obvious or observant of or aware of things that occurred. Um, I, I honestly never got myself into a situation where I felt that I um, needed to speak up because I just kind of did as I was told, but it was a chef situation and in a brigade, you know, um, I never ever felt that I was overlooked. I just knew that I had nowhere to scream and yell and, and, and be abrupt when I was still in a level of pastry cook learning. Well, so if I was working with a bunch of guys, honestly, I just leaned on them like brothers. Mm-hmm. And we, I've always created a family connection with people. So when I felt like I needed to prove myself, it wasn't necessarily to the team. It was always to management. And what I found was um, if I approached my, my male chefs and said, this is what I'd like to do. This is why. And this is, what, and it, for instance, if I wanted to like enter a competition when I was, you know, whatever point, um, they would say, I love it. Go get it. Win it for us. Sounds good. It was just an automatic yes, or a, they didn't need a lot of details because quite frankly, I don't think I really knew all the details mm-hmm. when I would tell female chefs or, you know, management, I felt like it was always, are you sure you want to, are you sure you have enough time? I felt like it just, did you just take me at my word? And although I understand maybe nurturing was coming into that, but at the time I just felt like I wanted to always talk to male chefs more because they gave me clear answers. They were direct, but really I think just more female chefs that I've worked with. I think they just wanted to make sure I was good. Not, not taking too much of a bite in my career that I could actually complete it. Like mm-hmm. it's such a different way to approach conversations, but they still had the same intent and goal. And honestly, they were both wonderful um, levels of management. It was just different ways of managing, you know, yeah. glass ceilings. Yes. I'm sure that they are there. I'm sure that I was probably in situations where I wasn't paid as well or given the opportunities, but to be frank, I really don't, recall much because I just really don't know. It's such a horrible answer. Um, 
in culinary and baking and pastry arts, you are such a team. It's just never I. Um, if you have a problem, you work with your team. You support each other through the thick and thin. Um, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't in a situation where I was in a corporate system like, uh, you know, affluent work, the lawyer, the doctor, um, even in nursing, I'm sure it's there too. I mean, that's a huge, huge. But like the team is like, you know, pull your weight, no matter who you are. We're a team. We got to get this done. We have a, you know, goals and it's like, we don't have time for the other parts of it. You're, you're exactly right. I do recall a time when I was working at a resort and I didn't really understand that all your appendages are potentials for helping yourself. And I was working with a chef and his name was Chef Greg. And I said, hey, can you get that door for me? And it was the walk-in cooler. And I had a probably a 15-pound batch of raspberry sausages made. He looked at me and said, get it yourself. I'm like, how rude. <laughs> and he walked over and he said, look, if you don't use, if you don't learn how to use your knees, elbows, your butt, your back, your head, like you're never going to make it. I'm like, what do you mean? And so he said, it's common sense. And so what he did was he showed me, look, you put it on your, you put the sauce on your knee, you lift it up, you open the door with your left hand, you throw it and you swing it out. Kick it with your foot. <laughs> you kick it with your foot, you swing the sauce and you walk in in one fell swoop. Yeah. He said, it's common sense, get it. And although I felt that he was being cruel and mean about it, what he did was he opened my eyes to, you don't have to ask for help all the time. Um, so in a team, if you have that dance, where everyone kind of knows how to do things. It is brilliant. And that's what I felt like I've always been protected in is pastry teams, culinary teams. We all just get each other mm -hmm. and there's beauty in that. So I felt very protected from what other people might have had in their beginning career. Yeah. Good point. You know, scenarios. I'm with YouTube right now and social media and the Food Network, you know, and I have my students that are always wanting to be on TV and be a celebrity chef. I'd like to talk about TV because you've been on TV. You were on the news and you, you did demos. Yeah. How was that in your experience and how would you guide or rec recommend or advise somebody that wanted to get into that, how they could maybe pursue that part of the industry? Um. TV is a different animal. What people see is the person on screen. What people don't see is the years it took to get there. Um, a lot of people assume, well, when I get out, I'm going to be a star. And I commend that. I mean, that, that is confidence I did not have <laughs> getting out of school. Um, but if that's the goal, I think it's wonderful. They would definitely be doing themselves a disservice if they did not get some type of... Um, um, experience, whether it's acting courses, um, you want to be able to always deliver clearly, correctly, uh, whatever that looks like. Not that you have to be in acting courses, but it sure does help to understand how you look to people, how your words are perceived. Are Is my accent really bad? <laughs> you know, things can be altered, but of course, you don't want to change who you are. But there is such a thing as stage presence. So I would encourage the students, the people that want to be on screen, start recording yourself. Mm. And of course, everyone's doing it on TikTok. I mean, everywhere, you know, all of us have live videos. And I think that's a wonderful way to start looking at how you're perceived. Listen to the critique of people that are watching you. If they're making fun of you, just use it to your benefit. Say, okay, maybe I should change the look of the back of my um, my backdrop. Maybe I should tweak and only wear these colors on screen. Maybe I should just get some pointers from someone in makeup and mm -hmm. help me, you know, look better. I don't know. I mean, 
I would just say um, that would be an idea. But honestly, I feel like it's it's not the best goal to have is like, I just want to be on TV because influence is important. It's sacred and it's definitely should not be taken lightly. I would say if your intent is to help and serve, go for it. If your intent is me, 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 you you, you might have a, a little bit of a, a few snags here and there because mm-hmm. if you just approach with the wrong intent, I feel like sometimes it the result may not be what you want. And I don't know if you found, but I have when I've been on TV, it's a lot of work. There's so much behind the scenes before you get to that camera part that I don't think people, they realize it's it's a lot. You know what? You're exactly right. It's showing up at the studio at 4 a.m. It's setting your space and, oh, sorry, some of the anchors were really hungry and they ate your product. Um, oh, sorry. Looks like our oven isn't working. You have to figure it out. Um it is every potential case scenario you could ever think of will probably happen. And it's majority of the time will be on camera. So I, yes, always have backups. You have to just build scenarios. You always have to have the middle uh, look, if you will, like you're beginning mise en place, the middle, and then an end result or whatever you baked or cooked. You're cooking on screen. Uh, what if your pan flashes? What if, oh yeah, like it's such... A difficult thing to do is cook on live TV. I don't know if I really wish that upon anyone. (laughs) And sometimes they cut you. Like, you know, we're supposed to give you five minutes, but sorry, breaking. Correct. I think my show was, it was just three minutes. That's it. And three minutes to explain who I am, what I was doing, how I was doing it. And then this was the result. And somehow I got a song in all of this stuff. Like (laughs) Crazy. Plus they had me stand on books. Or a stool because I just wasn't tall enough for TV. Wow. Yeah, I'm a short little thing. <laughs> so now you're going to be an acrobat while you're doing exactly. your demo. Yeah, and also that training point that you bring up is a good one as well because we've actually started at Johnson & Wales, uh, which one of the ones that I teach is food media presentation skills for the you know, culinary student. Oh, wow. And it's just because of that. And it teaches them how to do video, how to do podcasts, how to do blogs, how to do food styling, food photography. You know, it's an elective class, but for those that want to go maybe that route or, you know, toy with it a little bit, at least it offers them a little bit in there so they can see all those points that you just brought up. Like, what are you wearing? How should you stand? Uh, what is your personality or accent? All of that comes into play and they get to actually review. That's incredible. I wish that was part of my curriculum. I really do. That, that's that's awesome. Good for them. Good for them. So, so they, there's, there's outlets out there, but I'm sure there's other media training type classes, one day classes and stuff that uh, people could take. So I guess if you're in into that or ex- want to explore it more, maybe some of that training would be good. Or as you mentioned, just get on video and put it out there and get some feedback from someone. Yeah. You know, when I do videos for our, for Pecondalux, that's the company I work for. Um, you know, it's definitely that scary moment after you finish it. And then I send it to the team and I'm like, what do you think? And it's the, Oh gosh, I hope they like it, you know, but um, it's either I'm being the worst critic of myself and what I thought were, weird odd moments are like, no, the timing was great. Your cadence was perfect. We are going to clip this and that it was too long, but overall good job. What I'm finding is it's not about being 100% presentable and anchor level. Amazing. People just want connection. Mm -hmm. People just really at the end of the day, want to feel that this girl called Cammy on a screen is approachable 
It's um, the things I'm doing are not held secret to the ground that I am just providing opportunity to learn and inspire. Inspiration for me is a big, big deal because without it, sometimes we just get lost within ourselves and have no goals. So um, I, I think being yourself and just being able to understand that sometimes, you know, you may flub up or have a little misstep. You can always correct it. But at the end, just, you know, you just want to be relatable. I think it's a big deal on camera. Yeah, I, I agree. Be real, be sincere. It will come through on the camera. And the, the... Yeah, I agree. Great. So you mentioned your company and some of the advice. How can someone get a hold of you? Or could they follow you on social media? Or could, you know, is there a website that they could uh, access? Yes, yes. There's a few spots they could always go to. First, um, I do work for a company called called Pecan Deluxe Candy, and that is pecandeluxe.com. There, once you're on the site, and I should say on Deluxe, there is an E at the end of it. So it's D-E-L-U-X-E. Okay. So pecandeluxe.com. When you're on the landing page, you'll just see um, a particular, well, there's a red bar in the middle. You just click on inspiration and it's a drop down box and you see Cammy's corner for that. And you can find me there, but I'm also on Twitter. So where can they, where can they find you? So they can find me on Twitter. I am chef cams. So it's C H E F K A M S and chef cams or cams is a word or a term that a lot of chefs in the industry call me. And I figured that was just really easy to find me. So they can always find me at Twitter at Chef Cams or our website, which is www.pecondelux.com. And on the red bar on the landing page, you can find it under Inspirations and you'll see Cami's Corner. And that's where you can look at my work. But you can always do a contact us from the website. That's where those videos that you were just mentioning are posted? Yes, videos and different things like that. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on everything, but I would say the two major spots are website and Twitter. And I am always posting on LinkedIn, which of course is Cami R. Smith is my uh, my name on there. Great. Now make sure I put those links in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and can't remember them, they can always go back and get those links there. Yeah, I, I would be flattered. I would, I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> Well, great. Well, as we come to the end of our chat today, and before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance you want to leave with the listeners, something you want to share? Oh, goodness. There's so much to say. Um, I have, well, first of all, I've really enjoyed my time with you and just talking about these steps and the ladder that I've you know, been on with this career. And honestly, it's my life. Um, it's been a really cool, crazy ride. But what I would say is whatever you choose in whichever field of food, which there's so many now, and I, gosh, I'm so envious of those that are just now stepping into the world of food and beverage, if you will, just to kind of, you know, say it as more of a blanket statement, there is almost every opportunity, you know, of, of work that they could do. And it's, they can go so niche into creating specific flavors as a flavorist all the way up to creating machines that can do something to create a new looking pie. I mean, just, you know, the world's wide open, but I would say in all of it, no matter what you do, always follow that gut feeling. There's just something to be said for your personal intuition. And even though it's what you feel like you should do when you know in your gut it's wrong or something just doesn't feel right, just follow that. That's just your little self telling you good or bad things or about, well, not good or bad, but just better for you or not so good for you. 
I'll give you a quick example of following the gut. Um, I was creating a wedding cake and I used the wrong um, starch system for the batter. Didn't really even realize that I did, but I did. And what I found was my cheesecakes were weeping terribly. I'm talking, they all look like they were crying, just water dripping out. And I was heartbroken because this bride really needed this cake, you know? So I'm just, I'm crying in the kitchen. I'm trying to get things to stop watering. It won't stop. And I remember thinking, can I just get this water to stop? Like just stop it already. And I just stood back and all of a sudden in my gut, it was don't use better cream in between the layers. Don't use better cream in between the layers. And I went, oh my God, yes. So I took the cheesecakes and I put them directly on the cake without any filler and the water dripped in the cake and kept all the cakes moist and all, all the water was pulled in. And it was just that knowing and that you can't teach. You, you can't teach it. You just have to nudge and say, when you feel like it's right, just do it. When you're doing job changes, my parents have freaked out a few times on me when I'm like, you know what? I'm getting a new job. <laughs> this is why, and this is who I'm going to. And they're like, why? You know. But when you know it's right, it's right. So I would just consider and to be very clear on following your gut. And I would say the other maybe level of, of advice is never be afraid to be who you are ever. I am, <laughs> I am a petite female who loves makeup. And I love fancy hair and I love glitter, sparkle. I am Dolly Parton, basically. <laughs> I love glitz and glamour, but it does not devalue the level of chef. It doesn't mean that I don't take my culinary seriously. It just means that I just like a good, beautiful, fancy coat. That's it. And for many, that did not fly well and they didn't really get. So they assumed because I loved makeup into be dressier than some at some presentations, they assume that I just wasn't to be taken seriously. That's fine. But in the end, I am just who I am. And I would encourage everyone to just be who you are and be daring in that because in the end, you always are true to yourself. Therefore, you will always be at peace with who you are. And I think that that's wonderful. And finally, people get it. I like makeup and jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode, and I want to first thank you, Cami, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Well, you're so welcome. Um, it's been a pleasure. I'm beyond flattered that you have had me on your show, and thank you for creating a really neat and wonderful and inspiring space for me and, and for those that are listening. So thanks so much. Well, thank you. Again, I enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. 
and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.